Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. Today is March 11th, 2016, and we are pre-filming a show that you're probably listening to on March 21st, 2016. This is Gabby LaPera in the studio, and I'm joined by the Motley Fool's personal finance expert, Dan Kaplinger, on the phone. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm pretty excited to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me, Gabby. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've decided to kind of shake things up on the financials episode and include personal finance every few weeks. Definitely write in to let us know how you feel about that or if you have any general questions. And speaking of listener questions, I wanted to give a shout out to Michael Monaco and a listener named Tom for writing in and letting me know about their experiences using their phones to pay for things. It sounds like they're both pretty strong converts. Uh, My mom let me know last night that she's going to convert to uh, using her phone to pay for things as well. And I have this coworker, Taylor Harris, who will not stop telling me about everything he uses his phone to pay with. Um, and he is really hopeful that the the Washington Mel- Metropolitan Area Transit Authority will start letting us put our smart cards on our phone. Um, don't hold your breath, because the metro lights itself on fire every few months. So I very much doubt that they're going to be able to do that anytime soon. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Today, we have a special episode. Like I said, Dan Kaplinger is a personal finance expert. So today, we thought that we would talk about Social Security. Well, Gabby, you're making me feel old because you know not only are we going to be talking about Social Security, but I'm thinking back to, I actually visited an ATM to get cash money uh, the other day. So <laughs> uh, the idea of uh, using my phone for all of my payments, I'm afraid I'm not going to be the early adopter or even the on-time adopter for that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty reluctant too. I don't know why I don't want to, but I just I just don't. Um. I think, for me, I think it's just that I already am using my phone for so many things. It's like having one more thing that could possibly go wrong if something happened to the phone. It'd just be a total disaster. And I, if my head weren't attached to my shoulders, I would lose it. Mm-hmm. So that's and that's the same with my wallet and my phone. But anyway, Social Security. Um, when this is like one of the most common questions that we get, and this is something that the Motley Fool writes, I feel like eight million articles about, and I feel that way because I edit a lot of them. <laughs> uh, the, the 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 major question that people ask is when should they take Social Security? It is, and you know, it, it's it's one of those questions that you'd think that there would be just a nice basic answer, yes, no, or an age number or something like that, and unfortunately. It isn't that simple, and that's why you see so many different articles. One thing I've I've heard back from is, you know, not all the articles that we run have the same opinions. I mean, some people think it makes sense to take it earlier. Some people think it makes sense to take it later. And the reason that you can have these differing opinions is that it really is an individual decision for everybody. And so. You know, one of the, you know, there are a lot of factors that can make it make sense for one person to take it as early as possible, but somebody else in a different situation really makes more sense for them to wait longer. And what's the, just for our listeners who maybe haven't thought about Social Security, when is the, when's the earliest you can take it according to the Social Security Administration? The earliest that you can take your retirement benefits is age 62. Okay. And is there a latest age that you can take it? Uh, Technically, no, but you stop getting a financial incentive uh, for waiting once you hit age 70. So between 62 and 70, there's this trade-off going on where 
the earlier you take it, the earlier you start getting the payments, but the smaller those payments are. The longer you wait, obviously you're giving up those payments between age 62 and whenever you decide to go ahead and take it. But when you eventually get around to taking it, the payments that you get are bigger. But they stop making the payments bigger after age 70. You max out at 70. And so when people are thinking about when to take it, it's always a question of where on that timeline between 62 and 70 are you thinking about making the payment? Definitely. And obviously that means for listeners that you should, if you haven't taken it, Social Security yet, and you're 70, you should maybe start because there's no benefit in waiting anymore. <laughs> Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And you'd be surprised how, how often that sort of thing happens because there's nothing at Social Security that says, you know, it, it doesn't automatically kick in. You'd think it would like automatically kick in if 70 sort of the the drop, you know, the the date on which you're going to go ahead, and there's no reason to wait any longer. You'd think they'd just go ahead and start it for you, but no, they don't do that. You have to do it yourself. So I mean, that yeah, saves them some money. I'm sure. Uh, so, so why would you want to take Social Security at 62 versus 70 if you're going to get bigger payments if you wait? Well, the, 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 the cost-benefit analysis, you know, there's, there's, there's a bunch of different ways to think about this. And a lot of financial planners, they sort of do the, like the numbers-driven way of thinking about it. And, and the argument for when to take Social Security based on that, it kind of runs like this. If you are getting smaller payments earlier, then in the, in, in the beginning, it makes a lot of sense. It looks like it makes sense to take it as early as possible because obviously, if you're taking those payments to start at 62, then your t the total amount of money you've gotten from Social Security is way ahead of, of somebody who hasn't gotten anything from it yet. But what happens later on is that if you wait and you take those payments later, you'll get bigger payments. So you sort of slowly but surely catch up to the people who took it earlier. And at a certain age, which it varies, but usually runs somewhere in your late 70s to early 80s, having waited, the total amount that you'll have gotten from Social Security, will it'll pass up the people who've gotten, who took their benefits early. And so that's sort of the, you know, sort of the baseline question a lot of financial planners will ask you is, you know, what do you expect your life expectancy to be if you have a family history where, you know, people tend to live a lot longer, then you're going to end up ahead of the game if you wait. If you tend to have, you know, sort of a weaker history of, of health problems or something like that, then, you know, it, it makes more financial sense to take it early. So. So that's kind of the numbers-driven way of thinking about it, and that's a, that, that's where a lot of people sort of sort of leave it and with the with the situation. Just in case you're curious, the life expectancy, the average life expectancy, I literally just googled this, in the United States is 78.74 years. But you got to be careful with that, Gabby, and that's like I say, it's easy to get lost in the numbers here because the number you're talking about, that's a life expectancy as of birth. And the question that you have to be asking yourself is that life expectancy, it includes a bunch of people who never even get to the age where they're even thinking about taking Social Security. So I see. So if, if you, you make it, if, if you make it to like 65, the chances that you make it to 85 are way higher. Yeah, exactly. Got because it. you lost, you know, the, the, the numbers that kept the overall average down to 78 
included some people who died at 20. You know, you had an accident or something. Included some people who died at 30. So once you've made it that far, your odds are a lot better that you'll make it even further. And so, you know, that's an important part of it. But you're right. I mean, that life expectancy, it often surprises people just how high it is. A lot of people take the Social Security as early as they can. They figure, boy, I better hurry up and get something out of it. And only later do they realize that if they'd been a little bit more patient, they'd end up have gotten a better deal by having waited longer. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's a gamble, right? No one knows exactly how long they're going to live. But like Dan said, if you feel like you are in good health, there's not really a reason to take it particularly early unless you have some kind of like financial situation that requires the extra money now. And that's the other thing, too. You know, I mean, so like I said, there's sort of that numbers driven equation, but then there's the quality of life issue. And a lot of people will tell you, boy, you know, if I have a choice between taking money earlier in my retirement years, in my 60s, in my early, you know, in that early part, when I'm still young enough to do all the things that I've tried to, you know, that I've worked my whole career looking forward to, in that case, you know, a lot of people will look past just that dollar amount and say, you know what, that money has a lot more actual value to me in terms of lifestyle if I get it earlier rather than later. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to argue with that. You can, you, can, you can talk about the numbers, you can do assumptions, and you can get hard answers that way. But, you know, when you try to translate that into an actual quality of life thing, that's really something that everybody has to decide for themselves. The numbers will help support your decision. They won't make the decision. You really have to translate those numbers into what's meaningful for you. You know, I was just having a conversation at lunch today about, uh, I believe it's called retired husband syndrome. <laughs> and this is something, I'm serious, this is something that's been popping up in Japan. It's been reported on like for the last few years, I think, about how these Japanese men, they work really hard, they work 80-hour weeks for most of their life, and then they retire, and they go home, and they drive their wives up the wall, because they have no interests outside of work. Like They don't really have any friends, so they're, they're, they just annoy their wives so much that these women end up having like these psychosomatic manifestations of their anxiety of having their husband around all the time. So besides wondering like you know like when should I take social security one of the things you should also think about is when you retire what are you going to do with yourself Yeah that's definitely not just something that happens in Japan I mean <laughs> there's all kinds of things that yeah you know, I've I've heard stories personally and you've seen it you know all all over the country here too you know it it is a big deal because so much of your life ends up being tied to your work you know, and and once you lose that, if you if you do just sort of a hard stop, full retirement, you know, get the gold watch and leave the office and never return again, then yeah, there's this huge gaping hole in your life, and unless you've really planned well to fill it, you can end up being really surprised at just what's missing. It can be really hard to replace that. So yeah. You know, and, and, and that is a good reason to think about things like sort of phasing into retirement. So, you know, trying to work with an employer and say, look, you know, I don't want to retire. I don't want to quit entirely, but I'd love it if I could back off of my hours or, you know, take advantage of, you know, some employers offer these sort of flexible working schedules where, you know, you might be able to take a day off in the middle of the week. Doing something like that 
it gives you a sense of what you would do with a portion of that free time, lets you kind of ramp down and get acclimated to that situation so that you can, you know, so you don't have that, that, that craziness factor of, <laughs> oh my God, I've been retired for a week and I've run out of things that I want to do. What do I do? Yeah. Well, so, okay. This is another question that I have then about social security. Um, does it get taxed? Cause I know that if you work and you're also drawing social security, obviously like your, your income is going to be taxed from the money that you make from working. What about, what about your social security? Well, a lot of people are surprised to find out that, that social security benefits can be subject to income tax because they figure, no, wait a minute, I already paid for that social security with all those FICA taxes that I paid, that I got <laughs> taken out of my paycheck throughout my career. So what, now you're going to hit me with a double dip? And the answer is for some people, the answer is yes, not for everybody. And basically what the IRS does is it takes a look at two things. It takes your social security benefits. It only it only includes half of those benefits for purposes of this calculation how much income you make. It then adds in any other sort of income that you have. So if you're still working, it your wage income goes into there. If you have any investment income, that goes into there. And actually the IRS does something kind of tricky. If you own tax-free municipal bonds, usually you don't have to pay income taxes on, it'll still make you add that income into this figure for purposes of this calculation. So you add all that money up, you end up with a figure. If that figure is above a certain threshold, then a portion of your taxes, or sorry, a portion of your benefits can end up getting taxed. Now for single folks, that threshold is $25,000. So if half your social security plus the rest of your income adds up to more than $25,000, then a portion of your benefits can get included in your taxable income. And the, the percentage of those benefits, it can start very low, but it ramps up to a maximum as your income goes up, maximum of 85%. So as much as 85 cents on the dollar of every dollar that you get from Social Security can end up being part of your taxable income you then apply whatever your tax bracket is, and that's the extra tax that you end up paying. So oh. definitely something to think about because, you know, a lot of people just figure, okay, Social Security free and clear, that's money I'm going to have, don't have to worry about taxes, but if you have enough income, it is something to think about. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I, I definitely wouldn't have guess that at all. And probably most of our listeners, $25,000 a year isn't that much. That's a pretty low threshold. So that's probably going to affect the majority of our listeners anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 it doesn't take, you know, if you don't have any outside sources of income, if you're only living on social security, then it, it's rarely a problem. But if you have even modest amounts of investment income, you know, like a pension coming from somewhere, you're taking withdrawals from your IRA or from like a 401k plan at work. Those kinds of things do get included. And because they're included, you're right. Those those low thresholds, I think it's it's 25,000 for singles. And I think that for uh, married uh, couples filing jointly, uh, the, the starting point is about 32,000. Yeah, so yeah, it, it's very easy to trigger this something to run by your accountant before you make a decision about, you know, does it make sense to take your social security? Well, 
if it's going to get taxed, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so you kind of answered this question, but should you re- rely entirely on Social Security for your retirement? Ideally, the answer is no. Um, you know, especially, I mean, a lot of people are, are increasingly concerned about the health of the Social Security system, and they think that, well, you know, Social Security could disappear, and so it makes sense to have money outside of that system to support you in retirement. I'm not that alarmist. I have pretty high confidence that, for one thing, the, the crisis in Social Security is still decades away. And I think that, you know, it may not be the most efficient solution in the world when it comes, but when the time does come, there's going to be enough uproar that benefits, at least at, at their current levels, are going to be preserved. But, you know, it's still not, I mean, obviously it depends on how much money you earned during your career because the higher your average earnings were while you were working, the larger your social security check's going to be. And so for a lot of people, that, that might be enough to live on. But you hear so many stories about how ordinary folks are having trouble making ends meet because their primary source of income is coming from social security. And it, it, that, that, it was never meant to be the sole means for support. When the program was first created, it was generally meant to be just part of a solution. And so you were supposed to think about what, you know, the savings you'd set aside for yourself. You were supposed to think about, you know, other things that, you know, if you had, you might have a pension at work. And so, you know, the idea that that's all you would rely on, you know, it, it, it's doable. There are plenty of people that have to make it work and they do make it work. Um, but it's much more comfortable if you can if you can manage it another way. Definitely. Um, so that means clearly that you should start saving real early, right? As early as you can. And you know the the time value of money, the the power of compounding really works in your favor the earlier that you can. There's countless examples of situations that you know somebody who starts even a year or two earlier than somebody else, the difference in their eventual how much money they have in their retirement account can be tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars higher just with a short period of time getting started earlier. And so it really makes a lot of sense for everybody. Yeah, I have. So I have these friends um, who have kids and the kids get an allowance, right? Like they get, I have no idea, let's say $20 a week um, and they get it for doing chores. If they don't do their chores and they don't get paid, because my friends are big believers in preparing their kids for seeing how the real world works. And as part of that, their allowance has line items that shows them like a tax that's taken out, which <laughs> prepares them for their social security taxes and their FICA or whatever. Um, and they're just taking it and putting it into a savings account for the kids, which is nice. Um, yeah, but that's hardcore, man. <laughs> to get to get the FICA guy on your on your uh, on your lawn allowance. Um, but no, I, I always thought that was like a really smart way to introduce kids to, you know, how paychecks work, um, why you need to start saving and explaining to them how social security works and how retirement works. It is. And, you know, I mean, it, it I, I have a story that unfortunately isn't as good as that because, you know, it, it just speaks to the changes of 
of how the financial world has worked. When I was a kid, I remember I had a savings account and, you know, every month they would credit the interest and I'd be like, wow, that's kind of cool that, you know, like I, I got a dollar and 12 cents or something on, on my interest. Well, I've set up a, a, an account for my daughter, but because the interest rate on the savings account is like 0, .0 <laughs> whatever, yeah, she gets a penny every month. I was going to say, matter. what kind it of interest rate? It doesn't matter how much rate? money, you know, <laughs> like the, the money goes up, the money goes down. It's, it's a penny every month. And so, you know, I'm like, you know, I mean, she, she just turned 11 and it's like her idea of saving is, oh boy, if I save, I'll get a penny a month. Now that'll be good, good incentive to get her to uh, look at other investments besides savings. But, uh, it's just a different educational uh, path from, from what I remember when, interest rates on savings accounts were a little bit higher. Yeah, I was going to say I don't I don't think that's ever happened in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> the other thing that you could you could consider doing is I uh, I started working when I was 14. Um, you know, parents immigrated here back in the early 80s and you know, they that that good hardworking immigrant immigrant values uh, so I started sure. working real young. Um, not because I had to, I guess just because I kind of saw them doing that. And I was like, oh, so that's what I should do, too. So I opened an IRA when I was like 18 because I was a real boring kid. Mm -hmm. um, but it's amazing to see how much that has grown since I was 18. Uh, and I, I don't think that too many people my age have as big of a nest egg as I do. And I've obviously been very lucky and have had life circumstances that have allowed me to contribute in such a way that that has been possible. I haven't had to like scrape um well for most of my life i haven't had to scrape there are a few years there in grad school that it was pretty desperate <laughs> hey that's a that's a character building time as well so, oh yeah you know definitely but, but yeah it's a good idea and it's even something that like you were talking about your friends you know sort of withholding money from allowances and 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 you know doing chores and work around the house and that kind of thing and you know it that is something that if if your child earns income, then they're eligible to start an IRA. You don't, you don't have to be 18. Um, and if, you know, if, if that's something that you want to encourage as a parent, then, you know, getting out there and opening an IRA on behalf of, of your kid can be a good way to kind of introduce them to, to the concept of investing and saving and thinking about long-term financial goals it can be a very visible method of, you know, of, of putting a real concrete, you know, the kid can actually see what's happening instead of it just being sort of this nebulous concept of, well, gee, at some point I'm not going to earn money anymore, so I need to have this account out there. Yeah. It can and be really helpful. It's a great way to start investing, um, investing the, the stuff that's already in your IRA that you can't touch. Uh, maybe maybe in the future we should do an episode on the different types of uh, retirement plans. That would be pretty cool. But, I'll be ready. <laughs> awesome. We Yeah, just you know, try and get your kids in the habit of saving. Uh, we are out of time for this week, so as usual, people on the podcast may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. Please don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Hey, thank you, Gabby. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. And for our listeners, please email us at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at MF Focus to let us know what you think of the new show format. Everyone have a great week.